sometimes, many times, most of the time, I am bringing you a word that the Lord's given me from listening to sermons, you know, reading my word, whatever. There's little things. Sometimes life experience. God has me go through a trial or I'm walking trials with others and he gives me immediate words says this needs to be addressed from the pulpit. And so many times somebody might come to me and say, Pastor, were you preaching at me? I know we talked this week about that thing. And I'm like, no, you just got to understand. It had nothing to do with that. I mean, it did, but it wasn't intentional. Um, at Walmart, when I led people, you don't address an issue with one person to the whole group, right? You go to that person. It's a really biblical principle, right? You go to the person in private um, before you take them before a whole group. But listen, Jenna and I literally in the last two weeks, we have watched something happen to many people in our lives. So if you're sitting here in this message, you begin to think, boy, he, this is just something. He's just really, I mean, he's almost breaking my confidence in him, me telling him something. No, I'm not. It's something that's been happening to many people. In fact, in first service, someone that is not hero regular said, wow, that was my last week. I, I just had this issue. So listen, if you will give me the benefit of the doubt this morning and let the Holy Spirit work in your heart, you understand that I did not design this message for you. The Lord did because I'm going to be preaching at myself as well. Um, listen, I don't really like to, I actually prefer to come up with messages on my own. It makes me feel good to not use, you know, little excerpts from here or there or use somebody else's sermon. Um, Pastor Jonathan Watson from Bella Vista Assembly helped me get over that. He said, if you think any good preachers out there are coming up with their own material every time when they're preaching two and three times a week, you're crazy. They're a really good resource because you can only say the Word of God so many times it's going to be said over and over again. But So um, I got to listen to whether I really know a lot about some of these preachers. I, I pray about their Word. If I know enough about them that I feel comfortable, I'll use it. But I pray about it. But sometimes, even if they've got something in their life I'm not sure about, um, the Word may still be true. Listen, in the last two weeks, I have seen the enemy try to kick people in the body around on one particular topic. See, I believe that, that great relationships still exist and can still exist. That we are not destined because of the times in our culture or, or because of the way things are going that we have to have dysfunctional relationships. In other words, marriages don't have to 50% of the time end up in divorce, right? Kids don't have to be disrespectful and talk back to their parents. You know, parents don't have to dislike their children and children don't have to hate their parents. And That good relationships can happen because as a follower of Christ, we believe Christ offers us plenty of wisdom in Scripture to make that happen. It's up to us whether we take the Scripture and apply it. It's not just about how we relate to Him, but how we relate to each other. In fact, in some recent past sermons, remember, we talked about um, that... It goes both ways, talking about reciprocal relationships. I had to repeat, it goes both ways. Uh, Christ, you cannot say, I love Christ, and you hate your neighbor. Scripture says that. You can't have this awesome spiritual relationship. Some people do. You ever known those people? They're super spiritual. They seem like they got everything together with the Lord, but they're horrible at relationships, and they offend everybody they're around. And so they've got this facade going on that I'm good with the Lord, and everybody else has got problems. They just can't see their problem is that they can't get along with everybody else. But I believe if we pay attention to the Scripture and apply it to our lives, then we can have really great relationships. So you have to get it right both ways, horizontally with each other and vertically. The image of the cross, if you remember that sermon. So um, if you don't get that right, it's not going to help you to stay married. It's not going to help you to build relationships at work or, or in the church. And it's not going to help you raise your children. It's going to do the opposite. So I want to once again go back to the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 26. If you want to turn in your Bibles or your Bible app, or if you think you can get away with looking at Facebook, pretending it's your Bible app, go ahead. I got the Holy Spirit on my side, and he will make your phone die. No, I'm kidding. Um, but anyway, go ahead and do that. And by the way, um, my Facebook goes to this iPad, and I've got my notifications on. So if you, somebody tagged one of my posts one time during the service. That had nothing to do with the service, and I saw it roll up. And I, I nailed them for it, so be careful. <laughs> also, I've considered if you fall asleep during service, I've got lipstick in my pockets. And men, if you fall asleep in service, you may end up with a new look before you got the door. Everybody will watch as I preach and draw on your face. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It gets warm. I joke about that because it gets warm in this building and I talk fast. So heat and a fast talker. It's like watching infomercials at, late at night if you turn your heater up. You're not going to make it. 
So, so we need the Lord's help. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. And let me say this. I felt this this morning. There's someone, people, maybe people, but there's someone here, and I don't do this a lot. There's someone here. You, you're fighting something in your life really hard, and you are not admitting it to anybody. Maybe not even a spouse, but you know it. You haven't pinpointed it. You don't know what it is, but I believe there's going to be freedom in this message for someone today. Maybe all of us, but I believe if you will allow the Lord, he'll do it. We're talking about the prison of offense. The prison of offense. Jesus said that you have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. This begins a series of six theological upgrades, if you will, to the old law, the law of Moses, right? Jesus is saying, okay, you've heard what Moses' law says. Now I'm going to tell you, I'm going to take it a step further, if you will, the upgrades here. And as he begins this idea, long before something happens, what he's actually referring to is long before something happens in your life, it happened in your heart. Before someone kills someone, you know, they can get ruled that it was a, a heat of passion, you know, they caught their lover with somebody else and boom, they shot him. But really, something happened to heart that would lead them up to the point that they'd react that way. And that's what Jesus teaches. That's the way he, that we were made, right? Um, that's the way the sinful nature can work. So, um, Long before something happened to your life, it happened in your heart. And that's the premise we're going through with the Sermon on the Mount, these upgrades. And so there is this command, you shall not murder anyone who murders shall be subject to the judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka. Now, I don't know what Raka means, but when I yelled it, it sounded pretty bad. That hard constant in the middle makes it sound like it's probably a cuss word back then. I don't know. We've talked about that. You know, Christian cuss words. Uh, Tim Hawkins, a Christian comedian. You know, Dak Burnett. You know, things like that. The, the things Christians say to get away with cussing without cussing. So I don't know what raka means. Or, and it says, and you, or you say, and you fool. And that kind of scares me because I've said things worse to people in traffic than raka or fool. And I don't want to go to hell. So this is an important message for all of us. Because I'm sure I'm not the only one that goes down uh, 540, 49, whatever it is now, um, the construction highway, and doesn't get mad and yell. Did you know that literally from a word that you can turn your life into a living hell? And I'm going to explain to you from Scripture how that is. Because what Jesus is saying, he said... With the knowledge of this, what starts in the heart doesn't stay in the heart. And what starts in the heart and turns into a word can actually create a living hell in your life. And, and here's the thing. If you look at what Jesus is talking about when he talks about hell, he's actually talking about Gehenna, which would be very familiar to Jewish people at the time because when they were in the time of turning away from the true living God to a false God, they used to sacrifice people at this place called Gehenna and actually sacrifice their babies. So when you think about the irony of this, this is the product of the most innocent part of their lives. They're turned to an evil God, but this life that's before the age of accountability is being sacrificed to this false God, this place called Gehenna. They stopped the practice, but it became the trash dump, and it was burning fires that never extinguished. So this stench of trash burning constantly, and these fires, these hot fires never went out. And this is what Jesus is giving them a picture of, that when you say these things, that these words, he's not saying that saying a bad word ends you up there he says what's in the heart that leads you to say the word will lead you to actions that will end you up with a living hell so did you know you can turn your home into a living hell just by what you allow to access your heart you really can you can turn a beautiful relationship into a garbage dump in fact when jesus says you'll be in danger of the fires of hell he, he's not speaking something abstract or the, theoretical. He's speaking to them about what the worst place they can imagine being stuck in is Gehenna, that trash dump that, that's burning, and it'll burn you up and all the previous babies and the horrible thoughts of what happened there. So he's bringing up this place saying, in anger with your heart and unresolved conflict in your relationships, it can make your heart a living hell. But there is really a, a reality to be examined here about the progression of offenses in our life. And have you ever noticed that we live in a, a world of perpetual offense? Okay, now all you conservatives, right? You're getting ready to think about the liberals and how easy they get bent. 
truth of the matter is, as the Christians are probably the most offendable people there are, and it's happened for so long, I think we're getting a dose of our own medicine. Because let me tell you something. I, I don't usually use... Um, I mean, listen, I, I, sometimes I think I need to pray for 30 minutes before I post anything on Facebook because now I'm a pastor, I'm a target, and, and i got to pray, Lord, could anybody be offended by this? Because literally anything I put out there, it's so easy to get offended. Now, I'm going to read to you a latest po- one of the latest posts I post on Facebook. This isn't normal if you're new here today for me to get into detail about what I post on Facebook, and it's not to call anybody out, and I'm not mad, everything's resolved, but I want to use this as an example I was frustrated at Satan. Listen to me. I was frustrated at Satan because for years now, God has been landing people in my lap. Not that I, I wish I could say I went searching for them, but landing people in my lap who, for whatever reason, even though I have no background in drugs or addictions, has been landing them in my lap to, to minister to them. All right? And so I'm frustrated because the devil seems to keep kicking these folks around. And all of a sudden, in a moment of deep thought about how this cycle happens, this is what I posted. And that's my heart about people who are trapped in addictions. And and this is what came of it. I believe Satan inflicts depression to create false need for self-medicating with destructive diversions. I believe Satan inflicts depression to create false need for self-medicating with destructive diversions. Those destructive diversions are always addictive. And the vicious cycle continues. Depression feeding self-medication, feeding addiction. I go on to say God is the great physician and he does not leave you to self-medicate with addictions. He does surgery to correct the source of the affliction and free us from self-medication which leads to addiction. Okay, that's what I said. And I told you the heart in which I said it because I was mad at the devil. I was ready to kick him in the teeth because I wanted to see people delivered. I'm I'm tired of this willy-nilly stuff of trying to figure out how people can get over the addictions. And because of this post, by the second comment from others, believers, mind you, who I, I know, my post was called disturbing and reckless. Within a minute, within a minute, the very second comment was called disturbing and reckless. Now, it made me worry and reread what I said. I didn't get mad at the person, but I thought, wow, how did that come? And so I find your comment disturbing and reckless. If I would not seen a therapist and put on medication lo- along with prayer, I would not be here today. Anyone going through this should see a doctor immediately. And so from my post that came, and here's what I ended up adding this big disclaimer, saying my apologies for misunderstanding. I don't have anything against medicine or doctors. And I put that at the beginning of the post, so it's the first thing you read. But really, come on. Where was that offense coming from? And then here's the first comment. Clyde, sometimes there are traumatic events that send us to deep into a pit of depression, not necessarily self. Not knowing how to handle that pain still can remain effective, can cause all those feelings to be pushed down even when you are a person living for Christ. Healing has come to my life in this area through Christ. It took a lot of good counsel and Christ, uh, my Lord, to overcome. Sometimes even Satan is not to blame, for it could be another scenario, even perpetration comes from others who call themselves Christians. That's where it triggered me. I'm like, it is Satan. Now listen, we have responsibility for actions, free will, but Satan is the puppet master trying to pull the strings to get us to do things we shouldn't. He's a great tempter. He's the one behind these things. So listen, I wasn't backing down from that, but I wasn't going to start a fight. In fact, I took the post down, uh, not because I'm afraid of what I said wasn't true, because it's just not worth the hassle. I was just venting my frustration with, uh, with Satan. So I was like, look, lady, I didn't mean all that. I didn't mean all that. But sometimes we're just offendable. Christians are the most offendable people on the planet sometimes. And, and so uh, the reason it's hard for me to stay happy sometimes, I've learned, is because I'm so easily offended. Now, the joy of the Lord should not come and go. It doesn't come and go with circumstances, but happiness kind of comes and goes. I had a good day, bad day, whatever. And I've learned that happiness is sometimes affected by how offendable I am. If every time I move out of my house and take a breath of fresh air and get in my car and I get on the highway and someone cuts me off and I'm ready to pull them out of their car and beat them, I'm too offendable and it's robbing me of my happiness every day. So if you want to make it easier to stay happy, you have to make it harder for you to get offended. 
So I myself, I'm preaching to myself. Some of you think, boy, I'm going ha- to let you have it after this because I know we talked this week and you're stepping on my toes. Listen, I'm telling you, it's been going on for many people. So it's happened to me this last week. I've felt offended. I've offended others. And sometimes if we want to move towards having happier lives, we need to learn to, to be less offendable. And I want to invite you on this journey that I'm on. It's like going to be my new superhero power. You know, I'm unoffendable. Able to take sharp comments like a speeding bullet, you know? <laughs> able to leap the hardest relationships in a single, single bound, you know? So listen, but things can spin out of control so fast you, eat, you don't even know it's happening. And the enemy's agenda in your life is destruction. Now listen, we're going to dissect because this is a spiritual battle. It is a military battle in the spiritual realm. There is, the Bible talks about the forces of evil and good and the war going on that we don't see. Uh, so listen, here's the thing. Every military strategist, every leader, general, they will have an over-encompassing agenda. The first agenda is to win, right? After that, you've got to figure out how you're going to do it. So the devil's objective is destruction because the Bible tells us he has come to kill, steal, and destroy. So his agenda is destruction. But listen, when we look at this, we have to figure out what is a strategy, though, for that agenda. His strategy is division. Because we know through Scripture that when we bind together, when we come together for the same purpose, in unity, to seek the Lord and come together, there's strength in that. And the enemy can't prevail against those things. And, and we know that he, he can't snatch anyone from the hands uh, uh, of the Lord. So if you accept the Lord as your Lord and Savior, you can walk away from that relationship, but nothing else can snatch you from the hands of God, including Satan. So we, we see that, that there's strength in that, but that's what the enemy sees as a way to get in there. He causes division. Jesus shared with us in Matthew 12, 25 that a house divided against itself can't stand. Now see, Abraham Lincoln didn't say that first. The Bible said it first. Jesus said it first. So Jesus is saying if the enemy wants to destroy you, if he wants to bring destruction, well, his main strategy is to bring division in you. Now, Chelsea, I had pre-planned to use you and Andrew for illustration through the sermon how comfortable will you be to hand off that baby to a relative now let me tell you relatives you're not allowed to stick your finger in the baby's mouth because there's no teeth yet and as new parents remember that's the thing that might want me to kill people in the church get your finger out of my kid's mouth all right you got germs on your finger i love all the grandmas and grandpas but just know it's parents worst nightmare give my kid germs all right so listen how long have y'all been married? 11 months. 11 months. So stand right here in front. Stand right here in front. So see, God, God when he brings two together, you know, that's why at the wedding, we, we put the man and wife together like this. We don't put them at the end of the line of, of people. They're, they're together. And the moms and dads are sitting up here, and then after this day they have to butt out because otherwise the devil's using them to cause problems in a new marriage. So they have to butt out. So the parents are down here, right? You pay me later. All right, so... But God wants to bring them together, but Satan wants to do this. Satan wants to bring division. Because in a church, the strongest part of the church is a family union. And so if he can begin to break families apart, then everybody, what, what happens when, if you're not called to be single, what happens when you can't find the right person, or you can't stay married, or you can't stay in a good relationship, you start hurting and then you make bad decisions, and it continues, and you do all kinds of things that can harm your body and others, and mess you up for life, Right? So it's just dysfunction that will happen. So, so God's wanting to bring you together and Satan wants to push you apart. Okay, hang on here for a minute. And what I just showed you is the Bible says that the marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. And what he wants to do uh, to them, he wants to do this church. And so I want to be very clear about something because I've been challenged on this before in the past. Listen, if I deal with a situation in the church and it has to do with your family, the reason I'm dealing with it with your family is because it will infiltrate the church. And I have to be a shepherd to all. And so sometimes people are like, are you just worried about how this looks to the church or are you worried about dealing with us? Both. It's not about how it looks. If we don't deal with the problems right, right away, and you'll see that in a minute by the scripture, then it starts to break apart families and it weakens the church and what Jesus intended for it. 
And so what the enemy wants to do is he wants to divide, and that's his strategy, and his agenda is destruction. But here's his tactic. You see, it gets further down. His tactic is offense. His tactic is offenses. When you go into battle, you may want to win the war. You may have a strategy that, hey, we're going to attack the enemy from this side. But when you get down to it, what weapons are you going to use? What's the little weapon that's going to carry out your, your, your victory? And in the devil's case, it's offense. Satan has an offensive strategy. He is subtle because if he were not subtle, here's the thing. Come back together. Lord's put these two together, and Satan wants to make them two. God wants to make them one. And if Satan came up and said, public announcement, hear you, hear you, Andrew, I'm getting ready to come, and I'm going to put a slap down on your marriage, and I'm going to try to divide you. Puff, puff, puff out your chest. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> See, God's made him the priest of his home and the protector. It's, it's innate in us. You know, when things get dysfunctional families, sometimes when the wives try to be the protector, and they try to be the boss of the family and not let the man catch up and lead and let him grow in the Lord. And so they're trying to be like, I'm the strong one. But listen, if they never let their husband step into that role of priest of the home, and this isn't about chauvinism, this isn't about cultural, this is biblical, that if you don't let them, things will always be out of disjuncture. And that's another way Satan tries to get it. We have known couple after couple after couple where this man can't say a word because the woman won't ever let him. And he couldn't ever stand up and make a strong decision because he's got the woman telling him and he's got the parents helping the woman tell him. And it's not the way the Lord intended it. You're supposed to leave the mother and father, cleave to your wife, and you're supposed to cleave, you're supposed to be close. And so the enemy is attacking, but he doesn't make a public service announcement. You can sit down for a minute and I'll, I'll get you here in a minute. Because he's subtle. Because if the enemy was obvious about it, we'd know it's coming. But what he does, he uses small offenses. And he does it in the marriage, he does it in every relationship. So, hey, those of you who are single, this counts for you too. Those who may remain single the rest of your life, this counts for you because it happens in every relationship. The devil works the same way. His tactic is offense. And what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 5 is he's showing us how to deal with offenses so we can keep the devil on the defense. How many of you want to keep the devil on the defense? Come on, I know it's getting warm, at least as me. Maybe I'm talking too fast, but it's hot. So keep your hand up for a minute. How many want to keep the devil on the defensive, okay? All right, all right, you can put them down. We know Scripture talks in reference to offenses that before we pull a splinter out of somebody else's eye, we need to pull the plank out of our own eye. That one's getting used a lot by non-believers who really don't know God's word, but they sure like that one when Christians make them mad, right? You need to pull the plank out of your own eye. Well, hey, they're, they're, they're calling the kettle black. That's true. You know, sometimes we have to call sin, sin, but, but then again, the way we approach it, maybe somebody needs to tell that to us. And here's the thing. Many of us have dysfunction in our lives, and what we do is we project that onto others, and so we go in trying to fix other people's lives based on the, plat the platform of their life based on our own problems. Because we got dysfunction, and so we think we're going to help others, and we project that on them, when the truth is we need to look at ourselves. So the Bible deals with that and says, listen, you really have to examine yourself and all the huge problems you have before you're a whole person and really can give out. And so listen, if you come to me about doing a teaching ministry at New Song, and um, I wait a minute, it might be I'm praying about it, it might be I'm trying to figure out a gentle way to tell you, I don't think you're ready. Or I see something in your life that I don't think people respect you in that position yet. Because your life's a mess. Or your relationships are a mess. And so if you've been a recent mess in your relationships, why would a shepherd turn you over to leading sheep if some of the sheep may have it better together than you do right then, right? So listen, I don't have it all together. It's not, that's not what totally qualifies you to be up here because I have problems. But listen, what I'm saying is, is that we have to examine ourselves. The Bible says that. I mean, a week doesn't go by in the life of a minister. If a week goes by in the life of a minister, it does, and you don't know of any offenses taking place, you start getting worried about the storm that's coming. If everything seems to be going real smooth, like, okay, Jen, something's going on in the church. I'm getting nervous. It's been a week. We haven't heard, because all the little problems, you hear about them quick, but if it's quiet for a while, you're like, what's the big problem coming? We better pray. We better fast. We better go to the church and, like, anoint every doorpost with oil because something's coming. And in every big offense, you know what I find out? Whether it's someone getting ready to go through a divorce, whether it's someone who has a dysfunctional child, or something's going on in their lives terrible, and they tell us 
what I find is when they have these big offenses, what generally I find out is those big planks in our eyes are made up of a lot of little splinters. They're made up of a lot of little splinters. And so what happened, it, what, what's happening in our lives now is not because of what's happening in our lives now. It's because of what was in our heart before. So Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount is saying, the reason you got issues now is not because of the people around you. It's because I've been trying to grow you, but here on back here, you let things get in your heart you didn't deal with, and now it's producing problems in your life. And so, these offenses... And, and to me, that's what the heart of Jesus' teaching. I, I really didn't read you the whole passage because I want to break it down and show you how it happens. And listen, we're running close on time, so I'm sorry I'm talking so fast, but please try to hang with me because I, I, I know the Lord wants me to get through all this. Now, if you're a note taker, write this down. The closer the relationship, the greater the opportunity for offense. The closer the relationship, the greater the opportunity for offense. And remember the message before when I had you saying things like, like uh, it's reciprocal, it works both ways. Well, in relationships, this is an area that works both ways. Just like that the closer a person is to you, the easier it is for offense to pop up, the closer they are, the easier it is to be in an intimate relationship with them. And that's why the marriage is designed the way it is. You come together in the closest way possible for the maximum amount of intimacy to be in that relationship. And so... Here's, here's the thing. This is why we get hurt the worst by people who are the closest. We get offended the easiest by those who we've let have a piece of our heart. See, I ask the question of people, you know, you, you get to a point where, I, you know, five years ago, there's people I know that have separated or divorced, and, and they might have been people I'm like, they're the last ones I'd ever imagined separating or having a problem. And it happens, and you're like, how did we get here? How do we get here? Andrew and Chelsea, can I bug you again? Just make sure not having to have a handoff Easton uh, every time. But listen, Andrew, I want you to turn around. I want you to give them the look you had when you got married on your wedding day in the pictures. No, to everybody. Just this. No, no, not that one. The happy one. The happy one. There you go. The happy one. Here, here. Okay, happy one. Happy one. All right. Um, here's the thing. Now, we know, we know Andrew and Chelsea, good hearts, and they got good, solid uh, foundation. And so they're going to have an awesome marriage. But you ever wonder, some of the people you know, how, how can they be like this? And a few kids later can't even stand to be in the same room together. How can that happen? How do you get from here to there? When it's happening, 50% of the marriages, are they all just bad matches? No. I mean, listen, I don't buy into all the psychology and relationships because I know God's Word tells me differently. That, that what He can put together, no man can separate if they let Christ still be the middle, right? So, so um, you guys might want to just have a seat right there because I'm going to use you several times. See what happens when you have your baby dedicated. Nobody can hurt you like someone you've given your heart to. Nobody. And I've asked this question, how do you end up there? You see, see how big Andrew was smiling? I mean, he was smiling so big on his wedding day, he's smiling. How can how you go from that to, to two people who can't even be in the same room together? And it happens, and there's all kinds of ways that happens. And I know there, there's, there's the thing about the compatibility and all that, but, but you know what? It takes one to forgive. It takes two to reconcile. It takes one to forgive. It takes two to reconcile. And it happens one offense at a time. Yes, there's betrayals, and I know there's sometimes there's infidelity and things like that. And scripturally, there's times where God's given us okay to, to separate from that relationship. Very few times, but there's some. And so, you know, I'm not here to put on trial anybody's divorce or your past or anything. I'm just saying, how did we get here from there? You're smiling like everything's okay, but deep down in your heart, when you come to church, you're still letting offenses build. And you're hanging on to them. And watch this. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, If therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, not just that you have something against someone else, but they have something against you and you know it. And you're like, but I'm okay with it. It's all right. I'm not mad at them. They're mad at me. But it's saying if they have something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Get it right with the person you have the offense with before you sing a song, pray a prayer, or amen a sermon, is what it's saying. 
Stop trying to cover up the dysfunction in your relationships. They're under attack. Just admit it. And get your church body and your church to help you. We're singing these beautiful hymns like at the beginning of worship, and I had no idea what Ken was going to pick, but I just thought it was funny because we're talking about this, and people will sing and raise their hands and, oh, all this, and we get to good, good father. And, you know, I'm thinking there might be some wives out there saying, now, he's a good, good father. That's who he is. That's who he is. That's who he is. I'm loved by you. That's who I am. But my husband's a jerk, and I'll never get it, and I've given up on him. Right? And so... We, what, what I think would be interesting is while we're singing those words, if God could do a split tape of our voice and let out of one side of our mouth come out what we're singing to him and out of the other side of the mouth let what's in our heart towards others come out. Get real. Like when someone challenged me about a biker coming to this church that had a patch that God forgives, outlaws don't. And I said, well, just thank the Lord that we all don't have to put on a patch with our latest sin and wear it to church or we'd all be pointing fingers at each other. Get it right with the person you have an offense with before you sing a song. Listen, this is, this is a hell issue. Now, now, some of you that want to hear the fire and brimstone of the past, I know this gets you excited, but listen, this is for all of us. This is a life or death, eternal life or death issue. Because people that hang on to offenses and don't forgive, they're not getting forgiveness from the Father, and the Word says that. So this is a serious issue. And what is coming out of someone's mouth they may think is the truth, but in their heart, God sees the heart. So you may fool the worship leader, you may fool the pastor, you may fool everybody else in that congregation, but the Holy Spirit knows what's truly in your heart, and you might as well not hide it because it's exposed. How do we get here from there? Jesus says it, says it starts small, but one offense at a time. But the devil wants to tear a husband's heart from the wife's and the vice versa. And you know God takes the two and makes them one, and the enemy takes the one and makes them two. And how does he do it? One offense at a time. And God knows this message is for me because my wife is 90% of the contribution of happiness and joy to our marriage, and I'm only 10%. I feel good about my 10% because at least I'm tithing on the happiness of our marriage, right, towards the happiness of our marriage. But she's doing the, she's doing the, the above the tithe and offering and the missions giving and all that in, into our marriage. But if you put me in the wrong situation, I get offended too. I, I mentioned first service and my mom and dad were out in the foyer and, and you cannot make a, if you want to correct me later, mom, that's fine. But I think she said one time that of all the Brummett men, somehow I didn't get the temper. Would you think that's true? Somehow of all the Brummett men, I, I, okay, I, I don't have time to do this, but this is really funny. I went to my sister's church and I'm really good friends with her pastor and he's funny. He has me rolling on the floor most of the time. And there's more older people in their church than we have in ours and they're very sweet, and they love my parents, and so they very much respect them. And I walked up, and now some of you don't know I have tattoos, okay? And I don't show them very much. That's why I'm sweating like a pig up here this morning. But I, I come up, and I'm wearing short sleeve because it's a 4th of July thing for their church, and we got invited because we're family. I walk up, and there's this girl that used to ride the church for the bus, and she's grown now. She's funny. She's sweetheart. She's gruff. She looks like she could throw you down and hogtie you pretty quick. And I walk up, and Mary says, Are those real tattoos? I said, well, yeah, they are. She goes, I didn't think you people got them. And I said, well, yeah. So my dad's sitting over there. So she knows my dad well. Is her pastor. I said, my dad did them. She looked at me. I was like, you didn't know when he retired from pastoring he opened Tattoo Sharp? I said, yeah, he can throw down some ink. So that was so much fun because I left her with that, that rumor, that the next person I countered, they said, now, you're Clyde and Doris's youngest, right? And I said, yeah. And they said something about, well, how did you get so tall? And I said, well, I'm adopted. And they said, really? They never said? I said, yeah, they were just so happy. I look so much like them anyway, but, you know, everybody always wonders why I'm tall. And I almost went to tell her the actual thing, and that was fun too, so I left that. So I told Pastor Danny, I said, one of the fun things about being a pastor is going to another pastor's church, stirring up trouble, and leaving, letting him take care of it. <laughs> but listen, you know, I, I don't have the, um, I don't have what I've been told is I don't have the, um, um, temper there you go see i don't have it so much i can't even think of the word i don't have the temper that some of the other brahmins do and it's not real bad it's just like if you you know bolt stuck on a car then you use the christian cuss words and the bolt and the wrench flies out from under the car you know sticks in the wall and dad burn it and all those things that you get away with as a christian and i just i don't have that so um but listen i do get offended 
And I just posted something on a group from uh, guys from the military, ex-military that I'm, I've been on. Um, and, you know, I found something. My dad's always had the highest integrity. I know I'm embarrassing when I say nice things, I'm sure. But he always had the highest integrity. I, I've always known my dad to have that. That's a blessing to have a father with utmost integrity. I did not always have it. And I always want to try to measure up. And, and so when I finally got to a place in my life, I started really dealing with my lying and, and uh, deceit. And, and also, I was a manipulator, you know. I'd always try to get what I wanted at whatever cost. And so my motives, when I actually, the Lord helped me to, I, I felt like I could stand on my own integrity and stand on my own motives and feel good about it. I was protective of it. So if anybody ever challenges my integrity or my motives behind what I do, it gets me fired up really quick. And I didn't realize this till a, a distant family member did to my dad, but if anybody ever questions my dad's integrity, you know, you kind of flip roles. Your dad will go dukes up for his son when he's, when his son's younger, and when you get older, then all of a sudden you start protecting your dad. And I was about to ready to drive to another state <laughs> and thump somebody because you don't question my dad's integrity, you know. And so I'm protective of that. So if somebody questions my integrity or my motives, it gets me really quick. I get offended. The only difference is I hide it because I like challenges. And I think if I can be good at relationships, what I'll do is I'll hide it and I'll just snuff it out and I'll deal with it internally and you'll never know and I'll smile at you and you think you're fine. But I get, I get sometimes told some of the things that are most hurtful from people in the church and they have no clue how hurtful it was because they see the smile and they think you got the position and that goes with it and they forget you're human and they just trample on you, right? And so I've learned that's not healthy because what happens is I had this friend that he admittedly told me he'd never had another friend in his life tell me because he's difficult. And for four years, I worked on a relationship with him and I, I had to walk on eggshells all the time because he's always questioned my motives behind everything I did. And I truly just loved him and wanted to be his friend. And he just always questioned. Finally, I had enough. I said, listen, you're about to lose my friendship, not because I'm going to take it from you. You're trampling on it. You're throwing away, but I'm not going to do this anymore. You either accept me and, and trust that I have the best intentions in mind or I'm not going to do this anymore. So everyone's offendable. One minute I'm offended on the inside and the next I'm shouting raka and the next time I'm in a living hell if I don't deal with it. Jesus is saying if you don't learn how to deal with this when, when it's small, you don't learn how to deal with the little offenses, you don't learn how to deal with those and settle the matters quickly. In verse 25, this is what he says. If you don't settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Now, I'm confused. A few verses earlier, we're talking about our brothers and sisters, right? Believers. Now we're talking about our adversary. And I always thought those were two separate people we're talking about. But what if we're not? What if in a few short verses, what he's saying is, if you don't handle it quickly, who was a brother and sister in Christ will now be your adversary. And, and so we're using different language here. We're moving into now they're an adversary because it wasn't dealt with properly. And if you don't deal with it, it says, it, it goes on to say, in verse 25, we're talking about your adversary. What if it's the same person? So it's saying, if you don't deal with it quickly, do what you can while you're still together on the way, talking about on the way to court, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. And truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid every last penny. You're going to have to work real hard to get that relationship back. Every last penny of it. Every bit of trust you trampled on. If you don't deal with it quickly. The prison of offense. And it all started with Raqqa. It all started with Raqqa. And it starts on the road, like when I call somebody knucklehead on the highway, right? And then, and then they make a motion out the door. And I'm like, oh, yeah? And I make a motion back. And then they're pulling over the side of the road. I'm like, all right, boys, I'm about to show you how, how a man deals with things. Woo. And Jen's like, yeah, and then you end up in jail and they have no father. So keep moving. You're a pastor, right? But listen, when you're in these moments, not with someone on the road, but someone you call brother or sister, someone you love, and, and you aren't thinking this is going to end up with you and me sitting with an attorney across from a table dividing up our, our assets. But it's his tactic, those little offenses. The enemies want to carry you all the way to that point where you're dividing up everything God's given you for gift because you let offenses get between you and a brother. And Come on back, Chelsea and Andrew. We're going to do a, we're going to pretend uh, 
we're going to pretend that you've uh, got more kids and they grew up a little bit too. Hey, Jaden. Hey, Devin. Can you guys come up here? You guys come up and stand next to Andrew and Chelsea. And so, so they, they've been married this short time and we're praying that they, they stay married 20 years plus, go on, on until Jesus comes back. But listen, what happens is, is that this represents what God can do when he puts two together and then then more love comes in the relationship that brings on new life and blessings but these represent those offenses those things that the devil tries to bring up in the marriage and maybe maybe andrew you know chelsea liked andrew a lot and loved him because she wanted to marry him because man when he walked in a room everybody wanted andrew's attention he just drew people you know they wanted his attention and she loved that about him when they got married but Afterwards, she found out that she's not getting as much attention as she thought she would. She thought if she married him, she'd get all of that he was given to other people, and Andrew's still social. And so she's offended, but she doesn't want to say anything because that's just who he is, so she's offended. So there's an offense there. Actually, you're supposed to hold that. And then maybe Andrew married Chelsea because, man, she just was a strong woman. And she could tell people how it was. She took no guff from anybody. I was like, man, I need a strong woman like that in my life. And I love that. She just lets everybody know, puts them in their place. She's got it, you know? I love that. Until Andrew marries her and finds out for the rest of her life, now she doesn't have all these people occupying her time. He does. So now all that's directed at him, and she's telling him all the time, this is how it is. And he's offended, but he doesn't want to say anything because she's a strong woman, and he wants to live. And so... But then they have children, right? And these may or may not have spiders on them, so your own risk. It's not insured, sorry. And then maybe little Easton here. Little Easton, he, uh, he starts watching this dynamic between mom and dad. You know, they tend to emulate. But guess what? The, the, the wrongdoer in the relationship, they get it back. Because that strong woman... He begins to resent that because he sees his, his dad as someone who's soft-hearted and, and people like him and he's really re- received well. But she's like, why is she so hard on him? And so he starts talking back to his mom and he's offended by the way she treats her dad, his dad. And so he's offended and so he's, he's got his offense. And here comes little Easton number two. <laughs> Easton the second. Wouldn't that be funny if you had two kids? Anyway. Easton the second, right? And he sees this whole thing going on, this dynamic. He says, you know what? They're all saying they live God's word, but this isn't what I see for God's word. And I don't know what's wrong, but I'm just giving up on God and people. And he's just got this reclusive thing. He didn't want to think. He's got an offense in his family. And none of them can really see clearly. They kind of see around it. They, they probably all suspect something's going on, but they aren't talking about it. They aren't laying down the expectation. This is what I expected. I'm getting disappointed. They aren't talking about it. So it's remaining offense. They're not dealing with it biblically. And before you know it, Boys, I'm going to switch you. Before you know it, the fence starts getting more and more because the longer you're married, the more you have a family, there's going to be more chances for offenses if it doesn't break apart first. Pretty soon you can't really see, it doesn't resemble a family anymore. There's something really missing. And you know, it gets to this point and next thing you know, it's, it's like Andrew's over here to Chelsea. Say, Chelsea, I really love that you're strong. I loved that before, but you're wearing me out, girl, and my, my guy, guys around me and my church, they don't really respect me as a man because you don't. And um, that might have been cool when you were single and your parents thought it was cute that you were a strong girl growing up, but it's not the way God designed it, and it's really broken, but I'm scared to tell you. And Chelsea's telling a- Andrew, I really like that you're social, but I've been lonely long enough, and, and this is God's answer for me to not be lonely anymore, and you're giving everybody the attention I wanted. And everybody in the family is standing behind that wall and nobody's really talking, but that's what's in their hearts. And they're going to sleep at night lonely. Right, I'll take this from you. They're going to sleep lonely. They've got people right in the bed next to them or down the hallway. They've got people who there should be love and represent what God planned for the family, but nobody's talking because everybody's offended. Because the enemy has done what? What was his, what was his strategy? To divide. And what was his tactic? Offenses. So he's planted the offenses. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. But here's the thing about offenses. See, that which the devil intended for bad, God intends for good. 
And, and so the thing is, is as Christians, what we often forget when we're dealing with these things is we don't go to the cross. And if we understood that what the devil meant for bad, God meant for good, and we need to go and look at our example. And there's an example of a man who laid down all the offenses against him that we created. And he came against those, and he hung on the cross for our offenses. And he said, I'm done with it. If you'll accept me, no more offenses. And when you hang on to offenses between a brother and sister in Christ, you reject the cross and everything it stands for. And you may think this is just a sermon, but it's truth and you know it. And if you don't absorb this and let it impact your Christian walk, you'll never live victorious and you run a risk of not being forgiven by your Heavenly Father. So you better take it very seriously. See, I wish we could be exactly like Jesus because there's a difference between him and us as I can remember those things that I was offended three years ago. You could compliment me three years ago and I'll forget it, but if you offended me, it's really hard to let go of that. But in the Bible, Jesus, what he said is, God said is, not only will I forgive you, but I'll forget it as far as the east is from the west. And this is real profound. This is the example of what Christ wants you to do. When you've been offended and you go and make it right after you've dealt with that and said, listen, uh, Andrew, I really need more attention from you because maybe I'm just needy, but that's what I hope for in our marriage. And I feel like you're not really paying attention. And Andrew says, hey, listen, will you give me a chance to, to read my Bible and understand how I'm supposed to be the man of the house? And will you tell your parents, this is not a real example, tell your parents to butt out because that's what the Bible says? Because I want to be the man that God's called me to be. I want to be the priest at home. I really have that in my heart. And, and, maybe, and maybe I've just not been given the opportunity yet, but I want to in our marriage. And see what Jesus says is once you've dealt with that, drop it. You can't go to sleep on me. <laughs> I'm kidding. She wasn't sleeping. I scared her. But he wants you to drop it. He wants you to take those offenses and leave it at the cross. Now listen, Lip service, lip service, lip service as a Christian isn't getting you anywhere. You can quote scripture and say all you want, but if you're broken, if your relationships are broken and you're con consistently butting heads with people, take a strong look at the planks in your eye and say, what needs to be removed? Go to your pastor or go to someone who is a trusted, mature Christian. Don't run to everybody else and start gossiping. Run to, run to who God has given you. Run to the cross and say, listen, I've got to get over this because it's a prison. I've been in a prison of offense. It's affected my relationships. I'm done with that. I want to have relationships like Christ intended. Amen. Here in a minute, we're going to be taking communion. And of all the messages, how appropriate for us to be taking communion to remember what Christ did on the cross because it was all about taking care of our offenses. But before we go there, there may be somebody in the room or may not. You may not be able to go to a person that has an offense against you this moment or you may not be able to go to them right away but you need to make a commitment that you're going to go to them and you're going to resolve this offense. Because the Lord will not bless your life until you get that one thing correct. You've got to have your relationships right horizontally and vertically. Amen. So as Ken begins to play, I want you to just close your eyes for a minute, have a conversation with the Lord, and just say, God, this morning I've heard the truth of your word. And this isn't about beating ourselves up because there's no condemnation of Christ. That means if you have messed up in your life and relationships, there's no need in focusing on the past other than correcting what needs to be corrected. But it is a matter of conviction from the Holy Spirit, and that's what's speaking to your heart now that says, I need to change the way I do relationships. And I need to move forward as a song we sing. I'm, I'm not going back. I'm moving ahead. I'm here to declare to you my past is over. Sometimes there's action still needed. There may be someone you need to make it right. So I believe the Lord will honor that. If you make that commitment, you're going to make it right. And we're going to take communion together with a clear conscience knowing that God has forgiven us for those offenses towards our brothers and sisters and Christ and those we love. Jesus, help us, I pray. Lord, as we begin to, to receive the elements, Lord, for communion, God, that you would help us to examine our hearts and know that, Lord, you have spoken to us today. 
that there is no better place, Lord, than in your presence to work out those trials of life. And right now, Lord, there are some who have confronted the fact that they've been holding things against others. They've been looking for ways to to find fault with others. They've been pointing the finger for so long. And, And Lord, their relationships are suffering because of it. They're living in a little hell. God, they need freedom. They need to be able to resolve those offenses. I know we've gone a few minutes over, but this is really important. I think that we, uh, I believe that we end this way. We don't teach here or believe that these elements, this juice and the cracker, literally becomes the blood and body of Christ. We know that Jesus at the Last Supper said, this represents my body and my blood the sacrifice he made for our sins for our offenses and so we take this to honor him as he said do this as often as you remember me so this is really a commitment to remembering what he did for us on the cross everybody that wanted to be served, if you've been served, if not, just lift your hand for a moment. We don't want to miss anybody. All right. Jesus at the Last Supper, as I said, he's with his disciples and he knows the weight he's about to carry. He's getting ready to pay the ultimate sacrifice for our offenses to give us a chance for grace and mercy. And he says to do this in remembrance of him that by his shed blood we have forgiveness for our sins. In his broken body we have healing and we have we have restoration and that we have new life. So as we take these, I want us to just remember what Christ did for us. Let's take it together. anything on hell, we do crank the temperature up about 10 degrees, just give effect. No, I'm kidding. It's one of the benefits we have of being in a small building and lots of people. And uh, so thank the Lord we, we have started progress on a new building, which will have higher ceilings and better air conditioning. Amen. So thank you for being patient. And love y'all. Have a blessed Sunday, and we'll see you Wednesday night at 630.